Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that God is blessing us with folks and I'm glad that, you know, for whatever, for whatever the nature of your being here is, if you are looking for a church, uh, if you're looking for healing, you know, maybe from a place of brokenness or something, or maybe you're looking for deeper truths, or maybe you're looking for relationships. People look for a lot of different things when they're looking for a church, and uh, I'm really glad that you're here. I believe it's ordained by God for you to be here today. Uh, some of you I may not have had the opportunity to spend much time with yet and uh, I would love to do that. So if we've not had an opportunity to get acquainted, I'd like to do that even today or maybe even over a cup of coffee sometime at your convenience. Just kind of share with you who we are and what I believe God is doing among us and maybe how you can get plugged in to whatever it is that you're, you're looking for. And I just want to remind you, and if, you're, if you've been here, you know, 70 years or if you've been here, I was going to say 70 minutes, but some of you have been here that long. Uh, I love you. Uh, I am the pastor of this church, but, but primarily I, I want you to know that I don't, this isn't my job. Uh, this is, uh, uh, this is the, 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 the mission that God has called me into and the purpose that he's given me. And so um, I love you, and I want you to know that. I stand here today not because I know anything. I stand here today because I want us to grow into Christ-likeness together. So uh, let's, let's open up God's Word, and, and we'll see what He has for us today. I know that He has a specific, specific message, and, and today I, w- I want to just begin by this and say this is a pretty simple sermon, okay? So that doesn't mean you shouldn't listen, uh, but, uh, but it's pretty simple. It also doesn't mean it's short, although I don't know what that was. Somebody setting me up for something? Uh, so one of the things that I wanted to say today is that, <clears throat> and I'll be, like I say, it'll be really, really simple, but you cannot, we're going to kind of, kind of follow along the line that we, that we started last week about revival and, and what, what happens there. And it's not necessarily a series I intended to move in a different direction, but, but God's kind of brought me back to this and teaching me a few things too. So I want to share them as I'm learning. I want to share you, share with you those things as well. Uh, so in big, bold letters, God, uh, you know, I was very careful about saying what God said, but I have had on my computer all week, you cannot, and I want you to remember this for some reason, maybe it's just for one person, but I think that it's, it's clear, it's supposed to be said today, you cannot be saved by being better. You cannot be saved. You are not saved by being better than you were yesterday. Salvation is not contingent upon you just becoming a better version of yourself or trying harder each and every day. That's not where salvation comes from, and that's not how salvation is maintained. Salvation does not belong to you. It is not yours. We talk about a personal salvation. But remember what David was struggling over his sin with Bathsheba? And he prayed in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of what? Your salvation, O Lord. When Paul was talking to Timothy about the, the church in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, he said that God may grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. 
So repentance belongs to God too. Salvation is, isn't an act that we perform. And repentance isn't an act that we perform. It is a gift. And so last week we talked about revival, what it is, what it's not, where it comes from, where it goes. We see that revival and an awakening occurs in the heart. So because of the Holy Spirit now within the church, revival is for the church. It is localized within a person's heart. So revival isn't us waiting on God to pour himself out in a moment in time, in, an, in a place, in an event. Revival is about God's people getting their hearts right with God, softening their hearts in humility, confessing sin in their life, and aligning their, their lives and their priorities with Scripture. Um, I hope it's okay, but Billy Ellis and I were sharing a thought this week, and and, and he said it kind of reminded him of the woman at the well wondering the same thing, right? The same thing as modern searchers, the questions that we hear today. Which mountain should we worship on? You know, where can we find God's presence? Where can we commune with God? And Jesus said, okay, you all heard that. Okay. Jesus said, that a time is coming, I'll paraphrase, finding God isn't about a place. Worshiping God isn't about a place. It's about your hearts aligning with His in spirit and in truth. And so the simple message today is God knows everything, right? God knows everything. We believe this, right? A couple of us believe it. We believe it, right? You know, I was going to put in my notes, have everybody repeat that statement because I'm wondering if we really do believe that. That God knows everything. Or maybe it's so simple, it's a duh, of course, move on. But it tends to be one of those doctrines that we affirm without much thought about it anymore. What does it mean for everyday lives? We would say, does God know everything? Yeah, it's what makes Him God. God knows everything. But I don't think we live like we believe that. I don't think we live like we believe it. In John chapter th 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, the Apostle John writes this, For whenever our heart condemns us, you ever had your heart condemn you? Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows how much? Everything. So the Bible is very clear in many, many places that God knows himself. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, the Father knows the Son, and the Son knows the Father. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, the Spirit knows the deeper things of the Godhead, the, the, the mysteries of the Godhead, the Trinity. God knows his eternal purpose. He knows why he created. He knows the direction. He sees and knows all things. He has a plan, and he is perfectly working the plan. God knows the past. God knows the present. And God knows the future with perfection. The past to him is as vivid as the present. He can see every minuscule second of the future in real time. You say, well, what about God's forgetfulness? 
Well, that word, God's forgetfulness of our past sin, refer to his commitment not to count them against us. Not that he was without knowledge. You see, Psalm 147 says that God knows every star, the number of every star in the universe. And God also knows every hair on your head and every sparrow that falls from the sky. Nothing is too large, nothing is too small. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 41, a couple of verses, 22 and 23, when God is challenging rivals to his you know, eternal throne, these so-called gods or idols, to prove that they are true gods, here's the test. God says, tell us what is to happen. Declare us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter that we may know that you are gods. So a test for deity is the ability to foretell the future, to know all things. So one of the primary key attributes of God is his omniscience, his ability to know all, to see all. I think it's something that we struggle with. If we really were to think about it, it is something we struggle with because we don't like to think about anyone seeing our secret places. the things, thoughts, places in our lives that we don't want to come to light. We're good at masks. We're good at hiding. We're good at choosing which us we want to manifest to the world around us. See, we get to choose our own narrative. In public, we're one way. In private, we may just be another. Hiding, masking, pretending. I think it's one of the reasons why people love social media because I don't have to be the real me. I, have the, I, I get to be the me I want you to think that I am. And we are so gullible that we envy people's lives knowing that it's a lie. We're comfortable with lying about our thoughts, lying about our emotions, Sometimes even our actions. You ever have a kid that you watched them do it? You watched them and they deny it. You tell them you saw them, they still deny it. Some of you are nodding a lot heartier than others. We feel more secure because we're able to delete our watched history, walking through with unencumbered freedom as long as no one is secretly looking over our shoulder. We hold secrets. Anytime we hold secrets, we love being unknown, unseen. And what this causes, though, I want you to understand what this causes is that the thoughts that, that you don't know secret things about me it forces me to keep secrets. Secrets force me to live in shame. Because I'm, I'm, I'm withholding. I'm reserving. Okay? I'm holding back. Keeping part of myself from the light. And as long as that's, as long as that's going to happen, I'm going to live in shame. And I'll tell you this. Satan doesn't care if you sin as long as he can keep you in shame. Shame is the big issue. 
Tim Keller said, to be loved and unknown is superficial. To be known and unloved is our greatest fear. But to be loved and known is what it feels like to be loved by God himself. But something in us, I think it's because we're created in, in God's image and, and, and it's got our, our, our direction and purpose is to bring him glory. And so something in us craves to be fully known, fully seen, fully accepted, fully, fully loved, known and loved. But we sabotage that craving because the truth of the matter is, as long as we're living it with secrets in our life, we can convince ourselves that we don't have secrets so long as we have the key to the locked doors. And so we sabotage the craving because we want God, we think God, we tell ourselves that God will overlook things because we love Him. God will overlook it. He loves, I love Him and He loves me. He will overlook it. God refuses to overlook. He, he cannot overlook. He cannot not see what He alone can see. So like Adam and Eve, the very first sinners, we hide ourselves from God. That Whenever we think that God is going to see us in our exposed state, our first thought is a step backward. And when He continues to come, we continue to relent. And we're pretty good at lying to people. Pretty good at telling people what they want to hear or what we want them to hear. We're pretty good at lying to God, but there's another person we're good at lying to, and that's ourselves. We're really, really good at deceiving ourselves. You tell yourselves certain things long enough, you'll eventually begin to believe that they're true. You begin to walk in those truths, which are not truths at all. And as many people as there are sitting here today, there are that many lies that we tell ourselves. So I'm not going to nitpick on lies that we tell ourselves. I'm simply going to say, God sees everything. Even the things you can't see. Even the things you think you see that you've reframed because it fits the narrative you want to tell. God sees the truth. And he cannot unsee the truth. And he cannot not respond to the truth. How do you like that for lots of double negatives? He will always respond to the truth that he sees. When we begin to live in shame, shame paralyzes our faith. Secrets cause shame. Double-minded living, compartmentalized living causes secrets. Secrets cause shame and guilt. You know the difference? You know, I talk about this a lot because it, it impacts my life a lot, but guilt is, is this, the, you know, I guess the, the definition or the, what guilt would say is, this is what you did and, and it's all you'll ever do. That's what guilt says, as often as it can say it. Here's what you did and it's all you're capable of. But shame comes along and says, this is who you are and it's all you'll ever be. Guilt and shame paralyzes our faith, paralyzes our prayer life, per paralyzes our ability to be warmed in God's presence 
Guilt and shame cause us to compartmentalize and guilt and shame cause us to hold ourselves off and to hide over in the bushes as God passes by. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us the way we love is that, you know, love believes the best. You know, love gives the benefit of the doubt. And we love that because since we love ourselves, we always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, right? We judge ourselves based on our intentions, our mean-tos, our going-tos, our one-days. All this does is causes more shame, more guilt to be heaped upon us, more pretending. Eventually, we become hard-hearted. We begin, as the Bible says, we deceive ourselves, going through the motions, and faith and love are neutralized. And and I'm convinced because of that, we're not even spiritually aware of how hardened our hearts are. And so we go through life completely unfazed. We think that maybe God's silence is God's blessing. So we give ourselves permission to continue because God's obviously overlooking because we don't feel guilty anymore. But think about a time in your life when you felt guilt over something that you no longer feel. That's not God's permission. It's God's correction and proof of hard-heartedness. And we wonder why God won't pour out His presence upon us afresh, anew. We feel good in worship because we're saying the right words, but I'm afraid it's emotionalism if our hearts are not soft before Him. Believing what He says about our heart not what we've told ourselves about our heart. And listen to this, not based upon what other people tell us about ourselves. Because they don't know the real you. Oh, we love to be patted on the back and be told how good we are and how we wish people could be like us and how benefited people are because of our life. And we love being told how good we are, but don't you dare believe it. Don't you believe it. You need to believe what God says about our heart, not what the people that you've lied to about yourself tell you about your heart. Amen? Somebody give me some help. I I need a little bit of help this morning. So revival starts in the heart. but But God, revival starts in the heart, but it's a heart that you must prepare for revival. It's not a work that God does. It's a work that we do to prepare heart. God searches the heart. And if you recognize, we'll get to this in a moment, but if you recognize the need for a new heart, he'll give you a new heart. But that's your work. God's omniscience lays us bare before him. Irrespective of our love, our devotion, or our hiding, we are bare before him. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt We hide parts of ourselves from others. We think that we're hiding from God. But what does God see? God sees everything. Stephen gets it. He sees everything. His ability to see is not based on your permission. He doesn't only see if you love Him. He doesn't only see if you ask Him to see. He sees. If you're a Christian here this morning, He sees your heart. If you're not a Christian here this morning, He sees your heart. There is no hiding. There is no place to hide. 
There's no place to hide from his searching. There's no place to hide from his love. To those who are oblivious, to those who are comfortable in sin, want to live in it without any hindrance from God, his omniscience leaves you no place to hide. You can run, but he will always see because there's no place he can't see. And what what a disturbing thought it is for those who regard sin in their life to know that you cannot escape it. You can't push pause. And we may tell ourselves, God loves me regardless of my sin, right? And we like that. God loves us regardless. What about grace? It's true. It's true. God does love you. He loves you regardless. That's great news. But his, li- his love reaches to those who will also be eternally separated from him too. His love isn't only for those who love him. This has nothing to do with his love. His love is perfect, as is his vision. Oh, God, God loves me, he'll overlook. Well, just because God loves you does not mean he will overlook sin or that he will not exact judgment on it. So for those who strive for holiness, those who want to live in the direction of him and grow toward Christ's likeness are warmed by the fact that he is omniscient because in God's omniscience, it means that they are that God fully knows their desire, their repentant heart. Even if they mess up, God, here I am again, creating me a clean heart, oh God. Oh, and he loves, he loves to give grace to the repentant. Their cries for forgiveness, their commitment of their cause to him. Such relief immediately removes secrets and hiding and lies and masks and deceit and ultimately guilt and shame. I don't know that we have time, but I, there was a time in my life years ago when God revealed some things to me about me. And I went through a lot of, it's me again, God's. And I remember praying. Satan, you know what Satan always says? I mean, he'll, he'll, right in the moment, he'll, he'll say, nobody will ever know. You ever heard Satan tell you, tell you that? Nobody will ever find out. Nobody will ever know. Completely secret. This is something you can just, well, and then what's he say? Everybody's going to know. That's where the shame comes in. So you start living double lives. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. And I remember being terrified of being exposed. You know what it does when you're afraid of being exposed? You shrink away. You shrink away. You start believing lies. You start believing lies about people. You start believing lies about yourself. You start believing lies about God. But I'm telling you, as God continues to search and to prove And to pursue, there is a time when you just say, I've got to be put out of my misery, Lord. I've got to be put out of my misery. I don't care who knows. I just want to be right with you. I don't care who knows. I don't care what I have to do. I'll do it. Lord, if you want me to get on the highest mountain and declare everything, I will. Now, before you get too nervous, I don't know that he calls us to that. But I'm telling you, there is a freedom in coming clean.
before him and it gives you the power to be able to come clean to anybody else. And in some of the darkest moments in your entire life when Satan has you right where he wants you, compartmentalized and paralyzed. And when you come clean, there is a freedom that I cannot describe to you if you've not experienced. And you know what? I'm grateful. God did not tap me on the shoulder and say, I want the world to know. But you know who's been benefited from it? Me. You know who's stronger as a result of it? Me. And every other person that has struggled and I've been able to share my story too. God has used it and I'm not afraid. And Satan no longer whispers lies in my ear that I'm willing to believe. Oh, they're different lies now. Not those. I was terrified, hid, excused, masked, lived in guilt and shame. But when you find grace, grace is all that matters. You know, God knows more about you than you'd be able to wrap your head around. God knows so much more about you than you could ever know about yourself. Don't think that you have the upper hand on God. And when we say, yeah, God knows everything, let me tell you, I don't think that we live that way. Because I don't think that we really, I think we think that we know ourselves better than God does. And one day we're going to stand before him and he's going to execute judgment. We're going to say, no, God, you got that all wrong. Let me explain to you what was really going on here. He sees parts of our heart that we can't see. He sees the under the rug parts. He sees behind the locked door parts. He sees the unforgiving parts. He sees the hate parts. He sees the emotional parts. He sees the first thought parts. He sees every bit of it. You can't escape it. It's inescapable. You can think you're hiding, just like Adam and Eve thought they were hiding. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You think you know your own heart? Your heart's a liar. It's the biggest liar. Your lips are not the biggest liar. Your lips only prove what's in your heart. Hebrews, Hebrews 4, 13 says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. He doesn't just see, he judges. God knows the intimate details of how we think, how we feel. He gets us. And that works both ways. It's a blessing to be known by God when you're aligned with Him, but it's a curse to be known by God when you're misaligned. See, well, if, 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 if real love gives the benefit of the doubt, then God's going to give me the benefit of the doubt, right? No, He's not. You know why? Here, there's no doubt. We must love giving the benefit of the doubt because, boy, I don't know. I saw what I saw and I hear what I hear, but something just don't seem right. But you know what I'm going to choose to do? I'm going to choose to give you the benefit of the doubt. 
But God doesn't have to choose to give the benefit of the doubt because there is no doubt. What he saw is truth. He doesn't have to do it. He doesn't overlook it. He can't and still be God. God sees the embarrassing stuff. God sees the mistakes. God sees the temptations. God sees the sinful choices. Those things that we try to conceal. Those things that we try to remedy before they get out of hand. Did you know that you can't remedy those things? I mean, that's like... <laughs> you, ever get, you ever get guys or, or girls, I guess... Uh, wearing a white shirt gets a little, dot, little, just a small little dot of spaghetti sauce on your shirt. It's like continuing to wear it, thinking that it's going to get clean. It just, it doesn't. It just doesn't. And so, you know, once you've sinned, you can't just unsin. You, you don't have the capacity to deal with the things that God sees. Only he does because your heart belongs to him, because salvation belongs to him. Judgment belongs to him. Repentance belongs to him. Every, your job is to just simply <laughs> relent and give your heart to him. That's, that's really the only choice you have to make. Not to do better before you do. And so a lot of people are like, well, you know, I'm going to get the, all my ducks in a row before I get right with God. No, God sees everything. You can't fix it. The only fix is to surrender your heart to Jesus Christ right exactly where you are. And this may be the darkest moment of your life. This is the moment. Here's the good, here's, here's the great news. I want to remind you of great news. It's really quiet in here today. And I want you, if you need to write this down so you be reminded of it, I need, I, you need to be reminded of this. God sees how much? Everything. God sees it all. But he, what he sees does not affect the way he loves. Isn't that great? Now, we don't like the fact that God can see everything. I'd like to be able to debate a little, but there is no debate. But I love that what God sees does not determine how he loves. In fact, because of what God sees, it enables him to love both the sinner and the saint exactly the same. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Because God sees the brokenness. God sees all the garbage that we're trying to conceal. And because he sees it, he's compassionate and he's long-suffering and he works to turn our hearts toward him along our life. And so no matter how broken you may be, even this morning, you can't escape God seeing you and you cannot escape God loving you. It's what Romans 8, 38, for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You can't be separated from his searching and you cannot be separated from his love. So God, God sees our hearts. He sees how we struggle. And our struggle may scare other people away. 
But your struggle will never scare God away. People say all the time, boy, God will never be able to forgive me for all the things I've done. No, you know what? God saw you in that moment and he went to the cross. When, when everybody else is scared away from your sin, God's first thought was to step towards you in that sin and to offer himself for yourself. With God, there is no confusion. With God, there is no shaking of the head, scratching of the head, no uncertainties. He doesn't get hung up on appearances. He doesn't consider the way you look. In fact, it's what he said in 1 Samuel 16, 7. God told Samuel, he said, you need to go down to Bethlehem to the family of Jesse. They come to... Each one of these sons of Jesse come before Samuel and he finally sees Eliab. And he said to God, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And in other words, what, what Samuel says is, man, I'm look this guy. I'm impressed. I mean, I'm taking it all in and I'm impressed with Eliab. Surely this guy is the Lord's anointed. What did God say? Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see the way a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks... What? The Lord looks at what? The heart. So God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outside. People misjudge us. God never will. He cannot. So our, our heart begins to reveal our motives, our intentions. And as much as we like to think that life is really a culmination of actions, that's not really true, okay? God is interested in what drives our actions. Actions are a byproduct. Actions are a proof. So what happens is you'll have a thought, right? It's called a first thought. And what happens is that thought, I'm not going to trivialize this, but that thought seeps down into the heart, and depending upon where the heart is, it will inform back up to the mind to tell the mind what to do. So if you, if you have a thought, it'll, it just slips right down into the heart. And the heart says, do this, do that. Depending on where your heart is. And in that moment, you can't decide for your heart what it's going to do. It's going to decide what it, whatever state it's in. That's when it's going to decide. That's why it is so clear, so good to live with clear boundaries and morals and to know what you're going to do in any given moment is so that when that heart has to make a decision, it makes a Christ-like decision, a decision for the future, a decision that glorifies God, not a decision that glorifies self or protects self or keeps self's reputation intact. Because if that's where you're going to live, that's what the mind's going to do, and that's what you're going to do. Hey, live for pleasure. Hey, that's what the mind's going to tell the body to begin to do. That's the action. We say, no, that's a bad action. No, it's a bad heart. Because the heart's what told the mind what to do. That's why God searches the heart. That's why Proverbs says to guard the heart with all diligence. Keep your heart in check because from out of it come the issues of life. The heart, the thing we keep hidden, secret, it's the place we really live. You know, temptation isn't sin, right? Temptation isn't sin. 
That first thought's not the one that gets you in trouble. It's what you do with it after it slips through the heart and back up. That's, that's where you're judged. That's why God searches the heart. That's where the truth lives. And you, you know, I don't I, I know. It's like, it's like some of you may be teachers and you may have students or something grade papers, but listen, if you do that, there's probably a really good chance that you're going to go back and look over those tests again to make sure they got graded appropriately. I know when I was in school, you know, there was some of that, you know, kids are grading tests. I hope that they've got away from some of that. Uh, because I, I know, you know, the kids who got picked to grade the test, like, hey, they're my friend. This is what they really meant. Change the answers. Surely you know people do this, right? Right? There's a plexiglass right here on the front of this screen. Am I just, is this a zoo? You guys are coming to see the animals perform? You can't judge your own heart. And you can't let your fellow students judge your own heart because you will always grade on the curve. You say, well, what's the, what, how's everybody else doing in this particular area? And that's how we grade ourselves. Well, I'm not as bad as those people. Doing pretty good. So you don't get a grade, your heart. Only God grades the heart. So God looks at the motives of the heart. And what he's looking for is evidence of righteousness. That's what he's looking for. Our motives reveal who we are living for and the things that we care about and the direction that we're living. And so God chooses the heart so he can see why behind the thoughts and choices. For instance, in Psalm 139, verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. I love that it's Search me. It's giving God permission. I'm not just, God is searching, but God, I want you to. Search my heart and know my heart. Try me. Know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me. That Some translations use the word wicked way in me. What it means is any component that would cause pain to either myself or those around me. Search my heart and know me. Test my mind, my anxious thoughts, because I don't want to live in pain or inflict pain. And if my heart's not right, my mind's not right, my actions are not going to be right, and all around me is going to be brokenness and pain. And we wonder why our lives are so filled with brokenness and anxiety and pain. It's because our hearts are concrete when it comes to the things of God. Because God's going to overlook it. God's going to judge on the curve. God's going to, to, to give me an opportunity to explain myself. And once he hears it, he will understand. Jeremiah 17, 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to the fruit of his deeds. And when we look around the world, what do we do? We judge by appearance and actions. That's not how God judges. What, what will other people think? And what are other people doing? And that's how we make decisions. What will people think? And what are people doing? That's not the way God operates. Talked about when God searches the heart. I want to go, just kind of go through a couple of verses and then we're going to be done, Okay. He's examining our hearts for certain things that lead to Christ-likeness. For instance, humility. Humility keeps us teachable. Humility reminds us that we're not on top. 
Humility reminds us that we are under the authority and the lordship of God and that we are under one another's authority as well. It is humility that keeps us teachable. It allows us to receive direction and correction from God. Shame on one side, pride on the other drives humility away. And you may not be one that lives in shame. You may live in pride and arrogance and think you've got all your stuff together. That that causes you to live in paralysis as well. But it's humility that leads to repentance. It's humility that inspires us to pray prayers like David prayed in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. You know what that word clean means? Clean. Simple. I told you it's simple. This is not complicated. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. A clean heart renews a steadfast spirit. A steadfast means firm. It means stable. It means unwavering. It means it does not rock from side to side because that's what our heart does naturally. It wavers. And what it does when it wavers is it either moves into arrogance or it moves into shame. So God, I need a clean heart so that I can have a renewed spirit. Steadfast spirit. One of the things that God loved about David was that he says, David delighted in God's laws and teaching. Psalm 119.11, your words have I hidden where? And for what purpose? That I might not sin against you. When God searches the heart, he's looking for humility and he's looking for his words being lived out, keeping us from sin. God is also looking for holiness. He does see it differently from us. We compare it to other people. We compare our holiness to our friend group or we compare it to the people that we're around sometimes. But the Father compares it only to Jesus Christ. That's where our righteousness is judged based upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He doesn't search for sin so that he can condemn us. And I know that's why it's quiet in the room because we all have stuff or we don't understand. But God's not searching our heart to condemn us. He searches our heart so that he can correct us before it's too late. He searches our heart because he loves, not because he loves to be angry. I love the fact that God searches our hearts because now he's looking for opportunities to get your attention because he alone knows what it'll take to get it. It's out of his love that he searches because he's trying to produce holiness in us. He's looking for holiness in us so that he knows how to direct us to more Christ-likeness. God knows what sin cost us. God knows what it cost Jesus to die on the cross and rise again. But sin still has consequences here on earth, even though it's dealt with in Christ. And God does not want us tripped up with unnecessary hurdles that keep us paralyzed from his best. And so he searches our hearts. He tests our minds. When Satan finds sin, he uses fear. He uses guilt. He uses shame. But when God finds sin, he reveals it to us using conviction. One of the things that God taught me many years ago was that anytime, and I'm, I'm going to give this to you, and you do whatever you want to do with it, but it's so far it's been true in my life. 
that whenever you hear guilt and shame, that is never God's voice. Never. God doesn't speak in guilt and shame. God speaks only in conviction. And here's the picture that I've I've carried with me is that when we think about guilt and shame, these, these are long tubes like tunnels that you can look down, caves that you can look down that's going to be the rest of my life. Here's what you've done. Here's who you are. And at the end is dark. But conviction is the same direction. And all along at the end, there's light. Here's what you did. Here's hope. Here's who you are. Here's who I've called you to be. One has hope at the end of the tunnel. The other lies. You get to choose which voice you listen to. When those lies condemn you, those are not God's voices. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world through Christ. If you, if you have placed on God, God is judging my heart. God is searching my heart. How dare God invade my privacy? He's doing it out of love. And nobody can love the way the Father loves. He's doing it because He cares for you, because He knows He is the best for you. Not because He's angry, but because He's for you. And for Him to continue being God, He must make those right choices that glorify Himself, which would be to work to place Christ in us more firmly. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? His kindness leads to repentance. God searches the heart so he can cleanse it. He searches the heart so that he can give you a new one if there needs to be a new one. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than... Anybody know? To obey is better than sacrifice. David makes the same point in Psalms in his prayer of repentance. Psalm 51, 16. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite. Anybody want to guess? Heart. These, oh God, you do not despise. God wants to produce repentant hearts in us. Hearts that are quickly alert to the things that glorify him or the things that grieve him. And he is grieved by sin. And he puts in us a desire to be grieved by sin and a willingness to turn away from it. Hearts of obedience. Obedience, not words, not intention, not mean to, not worship, not comparison. Obedience is evidence of our love for God. This is why Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you keep my commandments. There is, there is no other evidence of our love for him than obedience from our heart. There's no other evidence. Not church attendance, not Bible study, not even prayer, not worship, not going to's, not intentions. There is no other proof than obedience to his word.
Romans 8, 27. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God is for us. Jesus is interceding for us. The Father is inspecting us. The Spirit indwells us. So the Father is looking for the mind of the Spirit inside of our heart. The Father is looking for the mind of the Spirit, the mind of the Spirit according to the will of God. Are we accomplishing the mind of the Spirit? Are we having the mind of the Spirit? Are we walking in obedience to His direction and His purpose for our life? And when God sees it, He empowers it. And when it's not there, it comes with conviction. Not to condemn, not to criticize, but to save us from an empty life of futility and selfishness and lack of direction. Lastly, Revelation 2.23, All the churches will know that I am He who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. God searches our hearts so that He'll know how to properly judge us one day. Is Jesus there? Is Jesus not there? What is the proof of Jesus' presence in our lives? Not here. Not even here. Right here. What is the proof of Jesus' presence in our life? Are we looking more and more like Him? Are we surrendering more and more to Him? Or are we just telling ourselves lies? Ezekiel 36, 26, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'd like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes, if you would, for just a moment. Psalm 26, we've not read yet today. Verse 2, the psalmist gives God permission. Now listen, you don't have to give God permission for Him to search you and to know your heart. But how much more freeing it is to surrender your heart to Him. Prove me, O Lord. Try me. Test my heart and mind. Well, that's probably one of the hardest prayers I can think of to pray. When you, when you ask the Father who knows all things, who loves in all ways, and when you ask Him, prove me, O Lord, search my heart. Prove me. Help me, Lord. Oh, he's searching your heart. But the heart that says, help me, Lord, produce obedience, humility, love, your word. Help me, O oh Lord, be more like Jesus. 
Reveal to me those things that my heart cannot sense any longer. Reveal the things to me that I'm hardened over. Reveal to me the things that I've overlooked. Reveal to me the things that that I don't even trip over anymore. The things that I've set aside, locked away, swept under the rug. Reveal those things to me, oh Lord, because I want nothing between us. And today I ask you, give him permission today to give you a clean heart and to renew a steadfast spirit within you. Let's stand together today. If you want to come forward this morning and pray, maybe you have some things you'd like to give to the Lord. Nobody's asking you to confess anything publicly. But maybe you just got to unload. Maybe you need to seek for a new heart. Maybe ask him today for a new heart. You can do that where you are, but my experience is just something different about, about nailing that down at an altar. But I want you to be obedient to whatever the Spirit's calling you today. You may already know what it is. You may know the things that you're hiding You may know the secret things. I don't know. You you may be getting away with it, but be sure your sin will find you out because God loves you too much to allow you to take it and not have to deal with it. So maybe today you don't know what it is, but you know your heart's hard. You know you're just going through the motions. But be warmed today knowing, not warned, warmed today knowing that God searches our hearts and he loves us anyway. He loves us so much that he's, he's working to diligently place Christ in our life. Will you surrender that to him this morning? Just as I am. That's the way he wants us. That's real. Just as I am. That's real. That's the starting place. That's the honest place. So Lord, I I pray that there are decisions being made around this room. I pray for those that are being made up front. I just ask that you would continue to, with your kindness and your mercy, extend toward us. Thank you for your love, unconditional love, love that is in truth and grace. I pray blessing over us, Lord, as we go as a church, but also as persons. May we experience a freshness, a renewing. In Jesus' name we pray. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.